0: Hi. I want to tell you about a white paper that's been published by Value Capture. It's titled Pursuing Habitual Excellence, Sutter Health. So in the paper, uh, it talks about how Sutter Health designed a new primary care process and encourages learning, experimentation, and continuous improvement. To download the free white paper, you can go to www.valuecapturellc.com Sutter. That's S-U-T-T-E-R. Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast and our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Well, hello and welcome to the Habitual Excellence Podcast. I'm Mark Raven from Value Capture, and we're joined today by Dr. Eric Dixon. He is the President and Chief Executive Officer of UMass Memorial Healthcare. Eric, hi, how are you? You're doing great, Mark. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing well. Really looking forward to um, hearing your perspectives looking back a little bit and um, and, and looking more recently at uh, what's been going on this year but I wonder if you, if you could start off and tell the listeners about you know, how and when um, you know you came in as an outsider being brought in as CEO and and how lean was was part of the strategy for um, what you and the health system were facing at that time
1: well I guess I was a, a semi outsider I had um kind of grown up here at UMass Memorial and at UMass I went to residency here, med school here, first, first job as an emergency physician was here and had left and gone to the University of Iowa um, and uh, was really struggling as chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine there in terms of running clinical operations. I didn't understand the science of uh, improvement and that's where I first learned lean back in 2003, 2004 were some great mentors and it it got me on track for managing um, an emergency department and when I came back to UMass Memorial first within the medical group and then not too long thereafter as CEO of the healthcare system, um, we found ourselves almost in the same situation and the same challenges that I was facing in running an emergency department in Iowa just had no consistent methodology for, for planning, for execution, for solving problems, no way to, to just no lens, to look at thing. Everybody was kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And so what, what I tried to do then was to you know pull in what had worked for me at the university of Iowa, this uh, lean management system, and just really define how are we going to do strategy? How are we going to assure execution? What is our, um, model for problem solving. If we face a problem, and and get people trained up in that, and you know the the um, the numbers are always the thing that uh, people use to tell the story. Um, you know, the finances went from a fifty-five million dollar loss to a fifty-five million dollar uh, operating margin. But more importantly, patient satisfaction, quality, and engagement of our staff increased, and over the course of the seven years that I've, I've been CEO of seven years plus now, we just get a little better every year and the people get stronger as problem solvers and it's almost automatic the way we do things now. So whatever challenge is thrown at us, including the most recent one, um, we have those years of development and of the people um, to get us through and, and they certainly shined in the last, uh, last crisis we faced.
0: Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if we, if we could talk a little bit, you, you bring up two really important um, characteristics of a, a lean culture. You talk about frontline problem solving and you talk about strategy. So maybe first on frontline problem solving, I, I know there's been a lot of great engagement of frontline staff and continuous improvement. You've blogged about this and shared about this a lot. Could, could you elaborate on what that's meant to the people and to the health system that focus on engagement and improvement?
1: Well, we we try to, we talk about our culture that we've been creating here and continue to work to create here built on the foundation of innovation, right? And PDCA, however we want to do that. And it's that continuous improvement through innovation and and experimentation um, driving us from where we are to where we want to be true north in the organization. And that second pillar for us being respect for people and there's no greater way to show respect for people than to listen to them, to implement their ideas and uh, to truly listen to them and recognize that whoever's doing that job today is probably the expert, not you, the person sitting out outside, regardless of your, your, your position. And so it's, we really try to make it as simple as as possible um, for, for especially our managers to understand, we're gonna engage every one of our people every day in ex- experimenting and innovating and trying new ways to, to get us from where we are to where we aspire to be and true north uh, for the organization. And we're gonna do so in a way that shows respect for people and everything that we do. And and, and it's, it's that simple when you think of the paradigm, but boy, is it hard every single day to focus your problem solving as a way of developing your people. And I think that's um, that's been the key for us, having a standard methodology, our A3 um, kind of methodology. And this is how we analyze problems. And everybody gets taught on it. You know, 14,000 employees, everyone's been taught on it. And then the coaching to the managers are, and that even though I know you can probably jump in and, and solve that problem quicker um, or you probably think you have the right root cause, you have to work that frontline caregiver through the problem-solving process such that they develop because that's worth a lot more than solving a problem quickly. And um, and it really is developing your people through the problem-solving process. And, um, and that's something that... You know, the competition can't quickly replicate. right? And in terms of a developed workforce that has become problem solvers, and it it really becomes a um, a strategic differentiator for it, for you. Everybody wants to say, oh, our people are a differentiator for us strategically. And I'll say, well, what have you done to to create such that great pool of people? Yeah. And well, tell me about your training programs. Tell me about the daily work and how how they're being developed and oh and very few can really articulate that um i can show you that we spent tens of millions of dollars investing in the development of our people Mm. and the training of our managers to use daily improvement as a way to develop them uh and
0: that's a differentiator for us i think and that i mean i mean so how easy or difficult is it to evaluate that investment, as as you put it? Um, I'm I'm not arguing with having made that investment, of course. But
1: no, it's, everybody wants the the ROI, right? And, and I think sometimes even people in this high position will, you know, delegate their lien to someone. It could be an HR in terms of the people development office. Could be into a separate process improvement. Say, look, we'll put four million dollars into this, and but I just need to see a ROI within two years of, mm-hmm. um, you know, double, or triple what we're, we're putting in, and uh, you know, I, we have not focused um, on that. For us, it is all about results, and if if we see quality metrics improving, patient experience improving. Workforce morale, engagement scores improving. Um, if I see those three things improve, I'll tell you your finances are going to improve. If if you've got anyone that can can manage this, and so when I when I talk about the return on investment, it's, um, I look right back up to the true north metrics and say, are they getting better or are they getting worse? Yeah. And sometimes things need a little bit of a more time to bake, but there's just a, a, a belief. I think throughout the healthcare system that, uh, you know, the development of our people is what's driving our increased, improved performance year over year. And, um, and it's a long-term differentiator for us. And it's, it's not something that's likely to disappear quickly in a downturn. In fact, I think during the downturn, like we're seeing right now, that's even more of an opportunity to invest into people. You might have some time to do it in development programs, because when things emerge, you're going to emerge with an even stronger workforce. So if I've learned anything from this COVID crisis, it's, it's double down on your people development programs. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what comes your way, and we weren't looking towards this, a, um, a talented workforce that feels empowered and is looking for waste and driving out waste and can redesign a process like a drive through testing lab. Um, you know, in a matter of a day or two, it can put up a hospital uh, in a convention center for 200 people with a six bed ICU in eight days. It, that's priceless to uh, an organization.
0: And so, you know, you, you've talked about this investment in problem solving capabilities as is being strategic. But I mean, let, let's um, you know, kind of go back to earlier, you mentioned strategy. And, and what does that mean from a lean management system perspective, compared to maybe traditional approaches to strategy? Are there parallels in the, the problem solving thought processes or other elements that you bring into strategy?
1: Yeah, and I think that you know, the it's probably the area that I have the most in um, to develop in terms of myself as a leader and thinking um, from uh, uh, strategy in terms of you know, a, a lean methodology for, for developing strategy. I, I go back to something, uh, it's a figure that Steve Spear showed me years ago um, that was, you know, you're here, you want to be here. And you get, and the key to getting from here to there is engaging every one of your people every day and trying to move you in that position through their ideas, through their problem solving, but you need a plan. You ultimately need a plan to get uh, from one place to another and you could have the best strategic plan in the world, know exactly what to do. Um, and it doesn't mean a thing if you can't execute it. And so engage every one of your people every day. Part of that has to be, and okay, there's a whole bunch of things we're going to have to execute on in the next few years. Have, have your key um, leaders and the next level of management, been involved in the development of the work that they're going to have to execute on and have you, um, and have you really listened to them because they know the opportunities that are out there. And so with our management system, we said, okay, first we're going to standardize and then we'll improve everything we do. And so we standardized our strategic planning cycle, documented it and it's, if people read it and uh, and they say, well, that's not particularly novel, right? We're going to have these, I meet with every, the 600 managers at UMass Memorial. I meet with every one of them every year uh, in groups of about 20 to talk about the current strategy and where the opportunities are. It's not particularly novel. It's a lot of work, yeah. but that's a way to engage all of those key stakeholders in both the development and execution of the strategy. We have, uh, you know, we document retreats. We have an interview process. And so I, I what I would say is our standard, our, our strategic planning process, like every one of our other management processes is um, written down. Every new manager reads it. They understand it. They've got a cycle to it. And every year we go back and say, how can we improve the strategic planning process such that it helps us move faster from where we are to where we want to be. And, uh, Just having it written down and making sure that we're following it and and executing on it has made a world of difference. Because in most organizations that I went into, uh, would go into and say, okay, let me see your strategic planning process. I'd like to read about it. I'd like to see it, any figures associated with it. Don't show me your strategic plan. Show me your strategic planning process. Very, very few could produce you standard work for that and if you don't have it standardized you really can't improve it over time so i think with all of those processes that um that we're working on it's first standardize it you know taking into account um your local situation and best practices that are out there but make it yours and then every year review it or every six months review it and improve it for us that's an every year review of that process yeah that's what's made the difference and it ties right back into the more important process which is execution.
0: Yeah, and um, when, when, when you talk about um, True North and, and having goals and direction and trying to execute against that, I wanna come back to the topic of safety and, and, and why, why is it so important to focus on safety as a, a primary, as, as, a, as a main goal within the context of other True North objectives? Well, our overarching True
1: North goal is to perfect the customer experience, our patient experience, and our workers' experience. Best place to give care, best place to get care. And if, if I'm coming into a work environment I still take care of patients clinically and I'm getting harmed when I come into work, well, that's not best place to give care. And Or if I'm a customer and I'm getting harmed um, that's not the best place to get care. And the way we look at do our performance metrics, and this is all the way trickle down to the board of trustees as we review our performance, patient-oriented metrics first, then our people-oriented metrics. Those two things always come first. And if we have time, we go into our other metrics. <clears throat> you know, and it's first, it's mortality for the patient. First, don't kill me if I come to your hospital, right? If if, if I can survive, I want to survive. Second, don't hurt me. That's the safety issue. Third, I'd like to have a, a, a good experience in terms of the patient experience. And right in that order is the way we uh, review performance. And then it's the same for our employees. And if you came in here, you looked on the wall, you'd see the number of employees that were hurt last month and while doing their job. And our goal is for that to be zero. That's that top employee um, uh, uh, metric. And we put the patient harm score and the employee harm score, number of patients harmed, the number of employees harmed right on the same sheet because our goal is zero harm. And and that's the pursuit of truly true north, the perfect customer experience, perfect patient uh, employee caregiver experience. And um, and everyone sees it, everyone knows it. And, uh, you know, never pass a defect uh, uh down the line is, is you know part of what we talk about. If you see something that could hurt somebody, an employee, a patient, you gotta stop right then and there, and we have to fix it. We have to huddle. We have the daily safety huddle to do it. Because if you don't create that that safe workplace, um, you're just not gonna really have the hearts and minds of your people. And you know, the great Paul O'Neill, who just recently passed a, a, a just amazing, amazing leader. Um, Randall Alcoher, and that was is the number one priority. Nobody gets hurt yeah. in a very, very dangerous business. And what Paul said to me, and it's stuck with me for you know, close to two decades, is if, if you can fix everything that's going to potentially harm your employees in 24 hours, every time you see something, you fix it, you rush it. Not waiting weeks and months and committees, fix it now everything in your company will move faster not just that everything so yes it was about keeping people safe but was creating this tension and this energy that hey if we can fix these things fast let's fix the other thing customer related issues fast and he said everything alcoa sped up and decision making and problem solving even though it was just initially focused on that workplace safety I'll never forget sitting down and hearing that from him because it stuck with me. And he's absolutely right. When you learn to solve problems faster, it's not isolated to one area of the problems that you solve.
0: Yeah. And it, it's always, um, inspiring, you know, we, we have the opportunity to hear recordings of uh, you know, what Mr. O'Neill talked about, what many of us heard him say in person about the importance of all of this. And, um, In episode six of the podcast, I had the opportunity to talk to Bill O'Rourke, who was an executive at Alcoa. Have you ever met Bill? I know know of Bill, but don't know Bill personally. So um, he, in that episode, he talked about how Mr. O'Neill not only challenged them, he challenged them for the idea of nobody should get hurt at work. And then the further challenge was how do we actually help people go home healthier? than they were when they walked in the door. You could think both physically and emotionally. And I I think that's an interesting challenge that I I don't think I've ever heard anyone else talk about.
1: That's great. I've got to go back and listen to that uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll send you um, the the link um, to that, Eric. And again, for the listeners or anyone watching, it's episode six of um, the podcast. Um, So maybe kind of final topic here, Eric, um, you know, during... Um, you know this COVID crisis, which for a lot of health systems has also been not just a health crisis but a financial crisis. Um, I've, I've seen what you, what you and the organization have shared online about making a commitment to no layoffs and no furloughs, and I and I think that really you know stands out um, you know as being um, noteworthy. I was wondering if you could um, tell us about um, what what led to that.
1: Yeah. And, I, I, you know, it was a uh, it was a tough decision and there was certainly an extensive conversation that occurred related to it. But we, we went back and said, what is the culture that we're trying to build here and have been working for, for for seven plus years? And everyone's involved in improvement you know, and, and respect for people. And, you know, for we didn't know how bad this was going to be, how long the recovery was going to be and you know we saw revenue drop by 40 percent in march um and we could have saved maybe five to ten million dollars of furloughs and layoffs at that point point. Uh, and we said okay will it be worth it if you know, in three four months down the line when we're recovering when we're through this um, or at least the surge we're through this you know um what is the workforce going to come back like after we turn their our back on and um and so we watched what others were doing and we looked at our particular cash situation and um said you know what like we're going to stand by our people respect mm-hmm. for people we're not going to furlough we're not going to lay off um but we are going to ask every one of them to be an ambassador for the organization we are going to ask every one of them to look at the way they're doing their job and spend time that may be downtime uh, to kind of think about ways you can improve um, uh, and we asked people to do, uh, training online that had downtime. And they're just, if you have 40% less revenue, you have 40% less bills to collect on, for example. And, um, our revenue cycle team, cause they had time to do improvement work was able to shorten AR days by tick 10 days off AR. Mm-hmm. Um, during the time that they were work, mostly working from home and this crisis, and if, we had furloughed them and laid them off because we didn't have as much billing work to do. I can't imagine what my day's AR would be today, but it'd probably have gone up by 10 at at that point. Yeah. And now, you know, we're pretty quickly back to 95, uh, 95, 96% of revenue. Uh, and I have a totally engaged workforce that feels like we stood by them during a difficult time. And instead of taking the, um, you know, the easy road or the quick, let's save some dollars so we make a decent quarter. And I can't find any other healthcare system around us that is at 90, 95, 96% of revenue. Um, and so now, you know, we're, we're, we're taking that engagement and we're leveraging it and again as a strategic differentiator. It's a, a chance for us to grab market share. Like we've got our processes um, improved over this period of time. And not everyone can do it and you can't do it forever. But when you have one of those slowdowns, and it might be a month, two months, three months, a quarter. It's an amazing, it's a great time to take your people, invest in them and de- development programs. And also say, we're going to stand by you, but I want you to spend time thinking about improvements that can be made in your area. Our ophthalmology department, which was very slow, um, redesigned their patient flow. During the COVID crisis, remotely, and now they're at about 110 percent of their previous covid volume. And uh-huh. so, I think in the long run, uh, it'll be a very good decision. It's been a good decision for process. Far and uh, you know, it's uh, respect for people, and, uh, and that has to come first.
0: Well, thank you for you know for for sharing not only you know what you did, but the thought process behind it. I think it was really interesting to hear. Um, I appreciate, like you said, it wasn't an easy decision, um, but but thank you for for kind of, you know for for sharing that example. I, I hope that inspires others to to rethink things um, down the road. For the finance folks, I think we're going to see a big return on investment for it. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. Um, is any, anything else that you would want to share with us, Eric? You know, any, any learnings, um, anything that was surprising during these kind of uh, unprecedented times? I think that, um, you know, a couple
1: of lessons learned. Um, The the first I talked so much about already that, you know, develop your people, develop your people, because when a crisis hits, that's going to be your number one thing that you have. And you can't say, oh, quick, we're in crisis. I want to develop my people now. You know, your time to have done that was before. And so um, as everyone regroups after this COVID thing, really look at your programs to do that. You know, the second thing that I think has is, is worked out well, and it was maybe something that I could do a little bit easier than other folks, is people were feeling unsafe in th- their work environment during all of this. And I spent as much time as I could, not just in the hospital, but on the COVID units, um, uh, worked every Sunday night in the COVID tent taking care of patients. And not because I made a diff- much of a difference in terms of how much clinical care I could provide, But I I wanted to say to our people that I'm not going to ask you to put yourself into a situation that I wouldn't put myself into. I'm not going to ask, you know, and I heard about some executives that were, you know, well away from their hospitals, maybe in a safe zone somewhere trying to run their hospitals. And I I would say the exact opposite is what people want to see down on the shop floors or in the Gemba and um, in the environment that you've asked them to go into. And and for us, you know, the PPE thing. I've got so many nice notes that we bent over backwards to ensure that we had the protective equipment, everything we could get our hands on for our people, and um, that I've got so many thank you notes for, you know, not trying to uh, to skimp on patients' equipment. And and I just I, I have to believe that this is all going to. It makes us feel good. It, it, I think we're a better organization having emerged from this. In part because we manage the crisis well and um you know it was all about the people while this was going on it's all about the people now and keep focused on them and you'll
0: be your business
1: will be fine hmm.
0: well thank you thank you so much eric for um sharing all that and your other reflections here again our guest has been uh, dr eric dixon he's the the president and chief executive officer at UMass Memorial Healthcare. Um, Eric, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure, Mark. Stay well. You too. Thanks for listening to Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app. To learn more about Value Capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.